This morning we have a, we have a challenging passage before us, uh, a genealogy of Esau and uh, out of uh, Genesis 36. We trust that by God's faithfulness and his goodness, we'll learn from that passage and, uh, and grow in our understanding of how we are to live before the Lord. This morning, we want to welcome those who have been uh, transferred in by way of membership from Linwood URC. It asked the Corhorns to stand this morning, Mike and Jenna and Sam and Lily. It is so good to see you and to have you as a part of our congregation. Always enjoy your smiling faces uh, right across the street from me, actually. We're so glad that you as our neighbors in our neighborhood uh, that uh, we can see you there, and uh, we so look forward to getting to know you better and uh, to getting to know Sam and Lily a little bit too uh, as they participate in the Sunday School program. So we're, we welcome you and ask that uh, you would extend a hand of, of greeting to us, and we'll, we'll do the same to you and trust that God will, will build us up in the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Thank you. This morning, our call to worship comes from Psalm 103 and also Isaiah 25. I'd ask you to stand, all of you to stand, then as we hear God's Word. There in Psalm 103, we read, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. We're mindful that He is faithful and powerful uh, to do what He has promised. And we'll, we'll see that in this morning's passage. In Isaiah 25, we read, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Our God indeed is most faithful, keeping his promises to the end unto eternity. Congregation, in whom is your help? I greet you this morning, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 145A this morning. I will exalt you, O my God and King. 145A, we're going to sing stanzas 1 through 3 and 7 and 8. 1 through 3 and 7 and 8 as we reflect on God's goodness to us.
We do want to sing praises to our God today, and we're mindful of His goodness to us and giving us His Word to guide us. This morning, a summary of God's law from Exodus 20, those familiar commandments that God gives to us and calling us to live for Him. God spoke all these words to His people, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me. And keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And this is the context in which the law is given. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. People stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And there the Lord spoke to Moses. And he spoke to Moses of his goodness. He reminded him of this word, of that desire or or that will that he has for us not to sin, that we would live for him, that we would keep these commandments, that we would love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We recognize that we have sinned before him and that Our reverence comes from the fact that he is great and glorious and is righteous and will punish all iniquity. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has poured out his wrath. He's poured his wrath out on his son that we might be, we who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, might be forgiven of our sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, reckoned righteous in him. In Isaiah The Lord is speaking to his people. Isaiah 44, he says, Remember these things, 
I formed you. You are my servant. We are called to live for him. He has called us and put us in right relationship with him. He speaks to us each Lord's day. He speaks to us each day by his word and by his spirit that we would long to live for him. He says, I will not forget you. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Every day is a day of repentance, a day where we speak of, speak to God of our sins and confess them and ask him to blot them out in boundless grace because of what his son has done on our behalf. Our trust is in him. Our hope is in him. Our confidence that we can draw near to our holy God is found in Jesus Christ. And when we reflect upon what God has done, how he has come to dwell among us and to offer himself for us, to deliver us from our sin, then we want to praise our God. We want to lift up our voices. And we want to do that now. Number 65, C in your hymnal. Number 65, C, praise waits for thee in Zion, that name which speaks of the gathering of God's people, the place where God's people dwell. We want to praise our God singing those first three stanzas of number 65, C.
turn to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. O Lord, praise waits for you in Zion where your people gather. And this morning we sing praises to you for your great faithfulness. Indeed, you have established your throne. You have set up your kingdom. You rule over all. You are the one who has done great and marvelous deeds. Your faithfulness is set before us day after day in the rising and setting of the sun, in the rains, in the sunshine, in the growth of the crops, in the strength that our bodies have, the tenderness with which you grant us all that we need, though we are so frail in ourselves. We come to sing your praises. We recognize that the one is blessed who calls upon your name. The one who comes into your presence and delights to sing of your goodness. Today we come confessing our sins as we do each day. Recognizing, Lord, that we do not live for you as we ought. We are not giving ourselves to you as we should. But as we come together this morning, we are reminded again that in your Son, you forgive us our sins. You remove them from us. You blot out our transgressions like a cloud and our sins like mist, which disappears. Lord, we Come, confessing that so often our hearts are cold towards you. Our path is not always following your leading. We recount your promises. In the midst of that, we learn that you are a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, but one who will punish wickedness, and sin. We ask this morning, Lord, that you would lead us to investigate our hearts to see where sin is, has found a place that is far too comfortable and that we would confess that sin and turn away from it. Lord, help us to make decisions and set priorities which are in keeping with your word. Even today we come, perhaps unprepared, to hear from you and we may face that risk of leaving unmoved. Though you are speaking to us through your word, though as we sing your word, we ought to recognize your voice. Lord, that shows how how deep is our sin that we can be unmoved in your presence. Perhaps, O oh Lord, we are distracted this morning and concerned about other things which you promise you will take care of. Lord, help us to focus on you today. Help us to give ourselves fully to listening to your word as we have a passage before us which reminds us of two different paths the only two paths one can take towards you or away from you. 
Sometimes the path away from you doesn't seem all that bad. It seems rather prosperous and successful as it does in the case of Esau. And yet in the end, we see that there is no eternal resting place when following sin and wickedness, when all we have to show is show for our labors as material gain and no spiritual gain, none of that we can take with us. So Lord, we pray that as we work, as we labor, we would do so doing something useful with our hands for the good of others, but not simply because we want more money so we can have more stuff and more things. Help us, Lord, to, to want to Reflect on how our service, our work can be service. We pray that we would pass on that same thought to our children. Lord, we thank you that we can be gathered together here and all of the, these generations represented this morning. We thank you for the time of fellowship that we can have after worship. We pray that it be a time of encouragement, time where we are hearing each other's needs and offering prayers and encouragement to one another. We pray that we would know the joy of walking in the truth together. We thank you for building your church through births and through others coming into the church from other places, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to lead us to be faithful in proclamation of the word that others might hear and, and want to come and worship and be identified with, with you, to be numbered among your people. We thank you, O Lord, that the Corhorns can now be a part of our congregation here. We ask that you would bless Mike and Jenna and Sam and Lily in their, their new church home here. Build them up in the faith. Strengthen and encourage them. May they see your good plan in their living day by day. May we be an encouragement to them, welcoming them. And as we walk in the path of faith together, may you be honored and glorified in in our lives. Lord, we know there are some who cannot be with us who would love to be, and we We pray for them as they're apart from us. May they be able to participate today through live stream. Think of Debbie and think of Beth. We ask, O Lord, that you would give them what they stand in need of. We think of Beth as she has treatment now for cancer. We ask, Lord, that you would be near to her, to her mom, Barb. Lord, encourage them to look to you and to to know a peace, and to give them a peace that passes all understanding. Think of Barb J. Zanstra as well and the needs that she has, unable to be with us. Lord, continue to be kind and tender to her and her particular needs. For those with chronic conditions, we ask for your continued grace, grace sufficient to be able to navigate through all of the difficulties of this life. Lord, we know that each week there are things that we welcome, things that are most wonderful and uh, milestones, 
birthdays, anniversaries, and these things, and we're so thankful for them. We know there are things in each week that are shocking and unexpected and unwelcomed, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be near to those who have experienced that this week. Comfort them and sustain them, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would give us words to speak and, and the ability to come alongside of of those in need and to listen or to be a comfort to them. Lord, we know that there are so many experiences that we have each week that are beyond our ability to, to fully process and to handle. But you promise that you will shape and mold us and work all things for our good. With that in mind, we... We look to you today, trusting that you will give us what we need for this new week as we have gathered together to be reminded of who you are and what you've done. Hear us in all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. I invite you to turn in your bulletins for the song that we now sing, the insert, By Faith, as we're thinking of walking by faith and not by sight, the distinction between Esau and Jacob. You'll understand that more as we turn to God's Word in a few moments, but we want to sing those five stanzas of the song, By Faith, as we stand together.
Let's turn together this morning to Genesis chapter 36. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're working our way through the book of Genesis. We come to Genesis 36, as I mentioned at the outset this morning, a quite challenging chapter. First, because it's a lot of names, and second, because it seems to indicate something contrary to what we're anticipating. God had promised blessing to Jacob, and Esau's line appears to be very powerful and very impressive, almost as though Esau's line would eclipse Jacob's in uh, importance. A challenging chapter to be sure. I, 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 to be honest, I thought about just skipping right over it and seeing if anyone would notice. But uh, here we are, Genesis 36, and I'm relying on a lot of uh, others' thoughts on the matter uh, this morning, a lot of other commentators. Not Certainly none of this is uh, unique to me. But as I was thinking about this uh, uh, through the week and, and again this morning, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there are examples you could share with me after the service of, of maybe people that were famous whose siblings are less famous, but they're the ones whose work is more enduring. It seems like that's kind of what we're facing here. Esau is famous. Not to us because we know Esau's in and we think, well, pastor, Esau's not the famous one. Jacob's the famous one. But when you read Genesis 36, he was renowned in the nation of Edom. He was the founder of the entire nation. They looked up to Esau. They saw Esau as their uh, forefather, their their, uh, very uh, center of their history. Um, And Jacob seems to almost be in the background, almost as though he's he's just uh, 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 the one that's going to kind of fade away. I want us to think about that as we look at uh, Genesis 36. Genesis 35, the last time we were looking together in the book of Genesis, we noticed that it was the end of the narrative about Jacob. He has his 12 sons listed, his daughter there uh, listed, and it's, it's a significant summary. Let's, let's not discount what we read there, but when compared to what Esau's uh, progeny looks like in chapter 36, it seems a little seems a little underwhelming. It seems not quite so uh, uh, majestic, if we, if we might put it that way. Genesis 36, on the other hand, gives us quite a description of Esau and his descendants. I'm not going to read all the names this morning. If you want help with pronunciation, you have to come see me after the worship service, uh, and I'll pretend I know what that pronunciation is. We're going to look at just the uh, certain aspects of this. So follow along with me, Genesis chapter 36, uh, in, in the reading of God's word this morning. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Bathmath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Adah bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basemath bore Ruel, and Holibamah bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. 
And then we hear it again. Esau is Edom. That's where Edom comes from. And then it goes on. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. And he gives all those names. Um, and what I want us to notice is down in verse 15, through, as the names have been mentioned, these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. So Esau's progeny, they're chiefs. And we're going to see in a few moments, they're kings. They're, they're royalty. They're, they're significant in the nation of Edom. So he says, verse 15, these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs, Teman, Omar, and the rest. The chiefs of Eliphaz, end of verse 16. Uh, 17, the sons of Ruel, they were chiefs. Again, they were chiefs in the land of Edom. The sons of Bathmas, Esau's wife. These sons of Aholibama, these were chiefs. The chiefs born to Holy Obama, and they give them. They are chiefs. So they're significant people. Verse 20, we then read that these are the sons of Seir, the Horite. These were the, these were the indigenous people there that, that Esau's family married into. They were already in that land. The inhabitants of the land, and you see the names there uh, through verses 20 uh, on and on through verse 30. And then it goes on, verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites and gives those names. So they're, they're kings. They're, they're significant uh, people. And then verse 40. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their clans and their dwelling places by their names. The chiefs, Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Aholibama, Ella, Pinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdiel and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom. That is, Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. And then chapter 37, verse 1, simply says this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at Obadiah this morning. Does everybody know that there's a book of the Bible named Obadiah? And how many times have you read it and you're reading through the Bible? We're going to look at Obadiah this morning. The page number is given there so that you know where it is. It's in the Minor Prophets, page 772. 772. But we're going to be looking at how Obadiah speaks to the future of Edom the descendants of Esau. Dear people of God, things are not always what they appear. We've just heard Jacob's, uh, the, the end of Jacob's narrative, chapter 35, and then chapter 36 comes along, and here we have Esau, and he's the founder of a nation, Edom, and his offspring marries into these peoples that are there in Seir, the inhabitants of the land, verse 20, and they become chiefs, and they become kings, and they're powerful people. They have money and power and momentum. Now, if we were to read this chapter, we'd say, well, where's the story of Esau? This must have been something, how this turned out. And, and yet, in Scripture, we know that Esau and the Edomites come to a not-so-royal end. We're going to see that this morning. But I want us to, to understand how, the, how, how God in his, in his Word is setting these up and saying, I've promised Esau blessing. Where else did that happen where, where God promises blessing to the, to the line of, of Abraham and yet the other brother who is not of the line is blessed? Think of the two sons of the previous generation. Can you name them? Ishmael 
and Isaac, right? Ishmael's not of the line. He's of Hagar. And yet the Lord says in Genesis chapter 17 that he would make him a great nation. Listen to the words God said to, about Ishmael. As for Ishmael, I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. I will make him into a great nation. Genesis 17 verse 20. And that's what happened. The sons of Ishmael became rulers of 12 peoples who settled in northern Arabia and spread out along the main trade route between Egypt and Assyria. Esau marries into this line. You remember back in an earlier chapter, chapter 28, where Esau hears his father Isaac saying, don't marry, he says to Jacob, don't marry the, the, the women of this land. Go back to the homeland. And Esau says, I see that my father doesn't want me marrying the Canaanites, so he says, I'll add another wife from Ishmael's family. And he marries into Ishmael's family and becomes great as a result. But think about the contrast. Now coming back to, to, to Jacob and Esau, think about the contrast. What's, what's going on? Jacob leaves home. He's working for his slave master, his uncle Laban, who's dishonest and, and is not paying him his wages. And, and it appears as though this isn't going to turn out well at all. What's Esau doing in the meantime? He's marrying into these many nations in Edom. He's becoming great. He's having offspring who become princes and who become kings. What must Jacob have been thinking during this time if the word got back to him? Esau, your brother, is becoming very powerful. He's establishing his place there in Edom uh, and becoming very strong. Remember when they met, what happens? Esau comes to meet Jacob. How does, he, how does he appear to Jacob? He comes with what? 400 mighty men. And Jacob comes with flocks and herds and hopes to kind of appease uh, Esau, giving him some, some sheep. But he doesn't really have any means of defense. Uh, he's, he's kind of hoping Esau is just going to receive a gift from him. Well, Again, to think about those two generations, Isaac must have wondered the same thing when he looked at Ishmael, his brother's prosperity. What we read about Isaac is quite different than what we read about Ishmael. Ishmael becomes great, becomes a father of 12 nations. Of Isaac, we read, he was 40 years old when he married Rebekah and she was barren. Doesn't seem like there's much of a future there. Jacob must have had similar thoughts as he heard about Esau and then met Esau and saw what had happened in Esau's life. Quite, quite a bit of growth, quite a rise in power. We don't have the recorded thoughts of either of them, Isaac or Jacob. But as we look into history, we see that God is working in those lines, in Isaac's line, in Jacob's line, building faith and developing the character that is necessary to face life uh, in a fallen world in such a way that we are constantly looking to God for help. Not saying, well, I've I, I got 400 mighty men and I've got a nation here that I've, I've put together. I've, I've got all I need. I don't really need anything else. God is doing that in his people. He builds his people through all of their experiences. 
Esau's line's growing, but what is not happening in Esau's life is he's not growing spiritually. Spiritually, his life was a long process of decline. You remember what happened. Children despised his birthright. That's where it begins. And that's really kind of revealing as to what his heart is like. He's despising blessing from God. He doesn't value his place in the family of God. He chooses some stew over holding on to his blessing. Remember how he turns it over to Jacob when Jacob says, I'll sell it to you. Sell it to you if you... Jacob asks him to sell it to him. He says, I'll give you some stew if you sell me your birthright. James Boyce says this of, of this interaction. Many people sympathize with Esau. But he goes on to say this. It's interesting that the Bible itself does not do this. On the contrary, it traces Esau's decision to sell his birthright to his godless nature. Listen to what he says about him in Hebrews uh, 12. It says this about Esau. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. And really, Esau's life doesn't change. The path uh, that he's on doesn't change. He, he, he despises spiritual things. And because he despises spiritual things, he continues to make choices that are, that are away from what God would have for him. When, he, when it comes to, to, to becoming married, to finding a wife for himself, he, he finds a wife that's, that's going to pull him, you know, pull him away. Take him away from the Lord. He doesn't, he's not interested in whether the Hittite women uh, were... Uh, were, were godly or not, or turned toward the Lord. And what do we read in Genesis 26? He married, a Hittite, he married Hittite women, and it says they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Well, so, what's, so we've kind of set this up. What's the application? Well, if spiritual things are not a priority, then, then worldly and ungodly principles will, will, will move in and, and begin to... to accelerate the process of spiritual decline. Everything else in life might be very, very good, and the devil likes to work that way. He finds out what we want. He finds out what we idolize, what we think is true success, true prosperity, and he says, I'll give them that. If I give them that, then they won't think about the fact that God must be their only treasure. That the Lord Jesus Christ must be their life. So what is that for you? What, what are those things that, that, that you treasure, that you prioritize, that you think, boy, if I just got that, then I'd really, then I, I know that God would, God's blessing me. We even like to invoke God and say, well, he'd be blessed. I know that that would, that would show me he really cares about me. Is it forgiveness of sins and salvation? Is it, is it the focus of eternal life as we're going to hear about tonight? Is that what you say? I'm secure in that. I'm assured of that. That in its, that, that's the greatest blessing that anyone can ever have? Or is it, well, if he just made me more popular, or if he just gave me more uh, uh, of a standing in, in this particular organization, or if I just got that promotion, or if I, if I just got my health back, or, or, or if I just had this or that? We, ask, we have to ask ourselves, what do we care about? What do we prioritize? What do we need to resist temptation? 
Psalm 119, big long chapter, but verse 11 tells us something very important. Psalmist says what? I have hidden your word in my heart so that what? I might not sin against you. That right there is the focal point. Why is God's word so rich, so, so uh, powerful, so perfect? Because in it, it shows us the way to life, the way to pleasing God. Hiding his word in our heart that we would not sin against God. If that's not what we're doing, then it, it's much easier. Well, it's, it's, more, it's natural for us to just follow our desires and to, to, to pursue more of, of, of what we think will really give us happiness and joy. If that's, again, there's, a, there's an example. If, if happiness is our goal, if, if that's, our, that's our preeminent, we always have to be happy, then we're just going to be constantly going to the amusement park maybe. <laughs> Finding happiness, looking to be happy. But is that really the, the, the focal point? Just, just questions we need to be asking as we see Esau and we see Jacob and Esau looking to be so blessed and so prosperous. It's very tempting to go along with whatever is going on around us, very tempting to pursue what the world pursues. But we need to focus on God and His Word. God gives us partnerships for that. It's important what partner we choose. He gives us family, biological and church family to help us with that. Very important where we are, where we find ourselves, how we are invested. Are we engaged? Are we growing together? As we look at the write-up that Esau gets in Genesis 36 versus what we've heard about Jacob, we conclude that Maybe Esau will conquer Jacob. He has the formula for victory. What does the Bible say about Jacob? I just included that first verse of chapter 37 to give us the contrast. It says he's, he's sojourning in the land of his father. He lived in the land of his father's sojourning. Seems so weak, so vulnerable, so just what's going to happen with him? And yet, Jacob, like his father Isaac, was walking according to the promises of God. Esau looked more blessed, but blessings not tied to material gain or material possession. Yes, God can and does bless his people with material things, but greater still is his working of faith in our hearts, a love for him, a love for others. Desire to serve. The psalmist puts it this way. He sets God's people, people's hearts on pilgrimage. They're, they're moving toward what is to come. And we can't just look on the outward appearance. Remember how that happens. The scripture gives us examples of that. When, when Samuel is looking for who might look like God's choice, God's king, he says, oh, this one looks like the one God might choose, God says to him, don't look on outward appearance. He looks at the heart. He works in the heart. What's God's evaluation of Esau? We just heard it in Hebrews 12. Godless. What's his evaluation of Jacob? He's a man of faith. Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. 
took a lifetime for that faith to mature. It, it was a little bit rough, a little bumpy, as we can say in our own experiences, right? But God is shaping and molding us through all of these experiences. Esau's physical holdings did not draw him to God. He was gaining the world, but his soul was dying. It was dead. He was not rich toward God. Let's contrast between Esau and Jacob. But what about looking at Edom and Israel, the nations that came from them? Secondly, this morning, God said that Esau would serve Jacob. But it's it's hard. I want us to appreciate how hard it was to 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 believe that for Jacob. He's seeing what's going on with Esau. He's seeing how Esau is is generations ahead of him, or or maybe that's not the right word, but but he's he's way ahead of him in showing hope for the future. And Jacob's struggling to make ends meet, if you will, under his uncle Laban. I want us to think about that because sometimes I think it's hard for us to to see what God is doing. We see how others prosper when they don't put God first, when they don't really care. Oh, they say, well, yeah, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. And they just go on and they think, oh, maybe all I need to be is just, just, I'll just be spiritual, just not, not go to church. I'll, I'll just be spiritual. I just won't serve uh, the Lord and, and, and I'll, I'll just try to do my best. And we think, oh, maybe that's enough. We need to remember God's word where he calls us to love him, to serve him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the history of Edom? The early history of Edom is not known to us. We don't know about when that nation began. We learn about it because Esau's family marries into it, and then it becomes a part of the biblical record, and we see that Edom uh, is, is already at that time powerful and uh, is has a significant standing in the area. And Esau must have known how to, to politic. He must have known how to get into this, these, these positions of power because his children become chiefs and then they become a part of the, the, the royalty there in Edom. And he becomes rather, uh, becomes not rather important, very important in Edom. Edom is very wealthy. It's situated along the trade route between Syria and Egypt and profited from taxing the traders who went through its territory. It had a natural uh, strength and security. The capital was built in the sandstone highlands of the, of the region. It was easily defended from enemies. And so there's that background. But then we, it comes up later in history. When, e, when Israel is leaving Egypt, you remember back in the book of Numbers, Moses asks the rulers of Edom, can we pass through your territory? We only want to pass through. We won't take any food. We won't even drink a drop of water. We just, just, we're trying to get to where, our Lord, where the Lord is leading us. And what, are the, what do they say? No. No, these are they're related, right? The descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob, they're, they're related. And yet, Edom says, no, you're not coming through here. And the hostility builds. Hostility grows between the nations. Many years later, King David conquers Edom. We read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And they're subjected to David 
David, who is a descendant of Jacob. And we start to see God's words being fulfilled. One writer puts it this way. Until this time, up to this point, Edom must have been thought of as Israel's elder brother, being stronger, older, and more developed. But by this battle, the elder was displaced by the younger, hearkening back to God's word concerning Jacob and Esau. And from this point, one can trace the bitter rivalry documented in the book of Obadiah. That's where I want to turn now in the book of Obadiah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Minor Prophets, Old Testament. We're going to be seeing what that book says. It's not a book we turn to often because it's a book about, about Edom, and yet it's about more than Edom. It's about Edom stands for all those who stand against God. Those who are not walking with God, as Esau was not walking with God, so Edom did not walk with God. As Israel walked with God, we see a contrast. Book of Obadiah, God declares that Edom would be brought down in spite of all her great defenses, in spite of all of her riches. We, we could read the entire book in, in, a, in, a, in a brief moment. It's only 21 verses. But I'm going to just highlight some, some verses about, uh, from this book. God says, this nation was very proud in itself. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Who could possibly conquer me? They had become very proud. God says, I will destroy. Verse 8, I will bring down. Edom had despised God and his people. In Obadiah 1 verse 10, we could just say verse 10, there's only one chapter. We read that Edom acted violently toward Israel because of the violence done to, listen to it, your brother Jacob. There's an emphasis there. This is your own brother. This is, your, this is of, your, of your family. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. The nation stood aloof from Israel in her time of need. Verse 11, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, talking about Jerusalem now, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for him, for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You acted that way. You stood aloof. You didn't care. You gloated over Israel's misfortune, rejoicing over her ruin. Verse 12, but do not gloat over the day of, there it is again, your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Edom had entered to Jerusalem and took treasure from her. Verse 13, looting the wealth of Jerusalem. And finally, God held Edom guilty. Because Edom turned over survivors to Israel's enemy, we read in verse 14. They were catching those who were seeking to flee from those invading. The history of of this, what event is being referred to, is not very clear. And I don't want to take time this morning to look at it. But what it it emphasizes is that, that Edom hated and despised Israel, that Esau's descendants despised Jacob's descendants. And we have two different lines Here, we have those who are against God and those who are walking with God. 
The Lord says there are two paths that these nations are on. Verse 18, the house of Jacob, what? Shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. The offspring of Jacob, Joseph, will be getting to him in Genesis very soon. And the house of Esau will be what? Stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. As I said earlier, Edom represents all those who stand opposed to God. Well, let's take from the national context to the individual context for a moment to to think of some application. The Bible has much to teach us about how to treat others, particularly our own brothers, our own sisters. We're not to remain aloof. We're not to remain or to to gloat in, in the uh, uh, in the misfortune of others. To be ready to forgive those who've sinned against us. We're to show compassion. We're not to take advantage of others, but to call them to faith. Not to turn them over to the enemy, the devil. I, I, I like what Jude says, another book we don't look to very often, but Jude uh, 22, another one-chapter book, uh, says this, that we're to save others by snatching them out of the fire, to have mercy on those who doubt to show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. Those who are walking in sin, we should say to them, you do not want to go that way. You need to turn from that way to call them out. So Edom's growing. Israel doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and yet the years ahead show that Edom will be brought to an end and Israel will triumph who comes from Jacob. From Jacob, we have a history that takes off in the Scriptures. Two nations, two people groups, representing two paths. Two nations squared off in history, Edom and Israel. And really, those two people groups have continued to square off in history. It's those who are of the line of the woman and those who are of the line of the serpent. What we want to do is to call out to those who are not walking with the Lord to turn to Him and to show love towards them. We're not to be like the early Jacob who's seeking to be deceptive. We're not to be like the early Jacob who's saying, I'm going to control my own path. I'm going to, this is the way I want to go and, and, and this is how I'm going to get there and this is the time frame. We're to be Observing more Jacob's later life where he learned to wait upon the Lord and to trust in the God of his salvation. There are really only two groups in the end, those who look to God for life and those who reject him and face judgment as we'll talk about tonight. James Boyce brings a connection here. I think that's, that's quite helpful. Uh, he points out a connection when he says, years, years ago, there was a day when two kings confronted each other. One sat at the pinnacle of power. His name was Herod Antipas. We're talking about the time of Jesus now. He was a son of Herod. Herod was an Edomite. Interesting that we have this contrast again. It was very helped by his, his drawing my attention to this. Herod the Great was the one who slaughtered the babies in Bethlehem in his desire to exterminate the Christ. His successor, Herod Antipas, whom we're concerned with, was no better. He had beheaded John the Baptist. 
those who stood in his way, he removed. I don't have a place for you. I remove you. There is no compassion, no kindness. The other king that was in this picture, in this scene, is one who is a descendant of Jacob. His name, Jesus. According to the flesh, he's a natural heir of King David, descendant of Jacob. According to his divine nature, king of kings, he doesn't look like a king, but he is one who would establish a throne that would endure forever. He doesn't ride a great horse. He's rejected by his own people. But the interesting thing is, he could have called down an army of angels to defend him, to, to take him away and to remove Herod Antipas from his, his throne. But he does not do that because he wants not just to sit on his throne alone, but he wants to take us to be with him. Again, we'll see that tonight in the coming uh, blessedness of all believers. Lord Jesus Christ comes down to lay down his life. He's vindicated by the Father. He's raised up from death, and through his victory, he secures eternal life for those who trust in him. And like Edom before him, Antipas is removed from history. He is exiled and dies in misery. Jesus, by contrast, wins a kingdom that will never end, for he trusted in his Father to deliver him. That's what we are called to do. And in the light of this, when we see such an example of what seems to be success and blessing apart from God, we need to remember again, What is the end of man apart from Christ, no matter how great? No person, no matter how powerful, can establish a lasting kingdom. But those who trust in God will be secure forever. While while we wait, we're like Jacob, who lived in the land of his father's sojournings, waiting for that day of victory. So what is our hope and our confidence. It is what has already been mentioned this morning. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence that we will be brought near and receive blessing is in him, the one who is the descendant of Jacob, the one who establishes us as those who will reign with him in glory. It is our call then to be strong and to wait upon the Lord, to trust in him. May God give us the grace to do that. Amen. Father in heaven, we look at two lines, two family lines, and we look at the world today and we see all of the prosperity and the wealth and the power and strength of of those who are not walking with you. And we think, well, how is it that this happens, that this takes place? And we're reminded that you raise up and you bring down. And you exalt those who humble themselves before you. It is those who humble themselves before you who will be exalted. We pray that you would grant us such a spirit, such a heart, that as we are living in this land of sojourn, waiting the day when we will receive what you have promised as inheritance for those in Christ. 
while we're walking, we would do so. Giving testimony that our hope is fully in you. Give us patience and perseverance. As we see in the book of Genesis, you're carrying that line through. We know our only hope is in you. Not in ourselves. Not even in our ancestors who needed you as we do. Grant us again, Lord, that perspective, that attitude, and that transformation in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 484 is the song that we want to respond with. On the good and faithful, God has set his love. When they call, he sends them blessings from above. Stand in awe and sin not. Bid your heart be still. Through the silent watches, think upon his will. Let's stand to sing the three stanzas, number 484. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize how important it is that the words of life that you give go out to the ends of the earth. For there really are only two paths, the path towards you and the path towards eternal condemnation. It is so important for us to hear how Christ has come to rescue us from destruction. We pray today for Indy Reformed Church, for Reverend Rifle and his family as they 
minister there. We pray that the word would go forth in power, that our gifts would help in that effort, that as the word goes forth, people might come lifting up your name in praise, that you would be honored and glorified. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand to receive God's parting blessing. Indeed, we remember God's great faithfulness. And as you go forth, go with this word of blessing. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen.